Orphan Black, the next chapter, is back for season two, and it's bigger than ever. The official continuation of the hit TV show stars Emmy Award-winning actress Tatiana Maslany as all of the clones. And this season, she's joined by original TV show cast members Jordan Gavaris as Felix, Evelyn Brochu as Delphine, and Christian Brune as Donnie. Season two picks up where season one left off with, spoiler alert, the secret of the clones finally exposed to the general public. Hundreds of previously unaware clones grapple with the news that they are part of a massive military science experiment. Meanwhile, anti-clone protesters fight to have the clones' rights restricted. Caught in the middle, the Sestras want peace, and when an unforeseen threat turns their world upside down, they must join forces with former enemies to protect the ones they love. Orphan Black, the next chapter, is available right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to listen and subscribe, or visit realm.fm for more information. The following panel is brought to you by the Sundance TV headquarters at the 2018 Sundance Film Festival. Enjoy. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the uh, Sundance TV headquarters. I'm Jan Diedrichsen. I'm the GM of Sundance TV and Sundance Now. (laughs) I have the the pleasure of... uh, of introducing our moderator for today's Women Breaking Barriers panel, uh, brought to you by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. So uh, our, our moderator today was born and raised in Vienna and has over 25 years experience as a journalist, writer, radio DJ, and TV producer. For the Hollywood Foreign Press, she works on the Golden Globe production and the annual Grants Banquet. Please welcome Elizabeth Serreta. Good afternoon. It is my pleasure to welcome all of you here, and especially my wonderful panelists, five accomplished, talented, wonderful, beautiful, inside-out women that have broken many barriers. First up is an award-winning actress currently starring as Aunt Vi in Queen Sugar, the series created by Oprah and Ava. No last names needed. She's also a motivational speaker and founder of the Inner Fitness Project. Here is Ms. Tina Lifford. A wonderful lady who made us believe that she can bread a chicken in a paper bag. (laughs) Golden Globe and Oscar winner, and here a Chura at the Sundance Festival, Ms. Octavia Spencer. An Oscar and Golden Globe winning producer, CEO of Well Entertainment, and the president of Women in Film, Ms. Kathy Schulman. Golden Globe winner, actress and producer, currently starring in Killing Eve, and she has her whole cast and crew, producers and writers with her here as a support, Ms. Sandra Oh. And an Emmy winner who long before she stepped behind the camera was behind the camera in one of the most male-dominated jobs of this industry. Cinematographer and director Reed Morano, who's here at the festival with her newest film, I Think We're Alone Now. 
and she's not here yet because she's actually working yeah. at the festival. Yeah. <laughs> so I will welcome her a little later. And uh, instead, um, it is my pleasure to bring Carrie Putnam, yeah. the executive director of the Sundance Institute, up on stage. With you. We are very honored, and by we, I mean the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, to bestow a $50,000 grant towards the women's program of the Sundance Institute. Am I allowed to say one? I don't of know if course, this is live. I, I don't know. If I, I just want to say thank you so much to the Hollywood Foreign Press, yeah. and um, this means so much to everybody at Sundance. You've supported us in our work um, for many years with international filmmakers, but supporting the women filmmakers at Sundance uh, has been very meaningful to us, and to have your help in doing this um, is extraordinary. So thank you, and thanks for all you do with uh, with your efforts. Thank, thank you. you. Okay, ladies, let's start off on a high note. Hi. Since this is called... <laughs> Sorry, that was... We are in a high altitude, after all. That was you. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to ask each of you, what was your first mm. barrier that you felt you had broken? That first moment where maybe you didn't think you've made it, but you have arrived, a first step. And what that meant to you, personally and professionally? Okay, um, I'll go. You, you know, I actually want to talk about the very first barrier, and that barrier was with myself. You know, there, this thing called acting was the only thing I ever wanted to do. And my father, I was a, 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 a daddy's girl, told me that I didn't want to do it because they don't make money and they're all on drugs. So... <laughs> My mom said something similar. <laughs> you know, so I, I struggled a lot with myself before I was willing to let myself be me. And so that first um, barrier was I was literally typing. Uh, I was at a publicist's office as a uh, intern, and I'm typing facing a blank white wall, and I swear to you, I heard a voice. I turned around, I'm by myself, and that voice said, if you don't do what's in your heart to be done, you will be 40 and unhappy. <laughs> and so that was, that was the first barrier. And then when I was told that I would only play maids and uh, drug addicts, well, I mean, <laughs> there's some Right? <laughs> well, you know, maids have been kind to me. I would love to have played that maid. Great, you know? I love maid roles. <laughs> yeah, so, so the bottom line for me is just over and over again, the barrier is there and then finding a way to ignore it or move beyond it uh, and follow mm -hmm. what's in me to be done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I have a couple, but I won't like give you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so the first time I was ever paid to 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 act, I, I, I was actually working uh, on a little movie called A Time to Kill with Matthew McConaughey, Sam Jackson, and Sandra Bullock. But I was working behind the scenes in the um, extras casting as a PA, and uh, uh, I you know got paid Some to PAs act. Here. And, <laughs> and and uh, you know when you when you when someone pays you to do what you know in your heart you it really defines you it, it's a, it's a, a breakthrough moment uh, but the barrier um, for me I it, honestly I, it would it was it would have to be the help I mean um, mm-hmm. that's how I oh, come on. met come on. you guys <laughs> and uh, it, it was uh, you know I, I feel grateful because you know, some people never get to do what we do and they have the same love and the same... Mm-hmm. And uh, the same talent. Exactly. The same love, the same talent. Um, I just happen to have uh, great advocates. Um, my friends who uh, developed the project uh, developed it with me in mind mm. and they fought at every turn. And I'm just glad the studio uh, listened. Yes. And that I and I feel like that has led me to this point to be in this room with all of you guys mm-hmm. on this very snowy mountain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So in high altitude. <laughs> I'm gonna have to say I don't think I've broken any glass ceiling yet. Um, but I've had repeated experiences of almost doing that that have turned me into kind of the activist and the feminist that I am. And, um, you know, the first movie I ever worked on, and I was an assistance, I was an assistant to a producer, and I had, didn't even know anything about the movie business, and I walked out on that set, and it was a movie called Blue Steel, which was Catherine Bigelow's mm. second film and first one that was funded. And I looked over and there was a woman directing the movie and I went, I'll do that. And I have to say, I never was able to bring a woman to one of my films as a director for another 17 years, having tried on every film over close to 100 that I had. Mm. So I'm not bringing down the up, but I want to say it made me think, well, what the heck about that? And then the second time, I think was when I was hired to run um, a company called, many of you may know of it as AMG and APG, it was Michael Lovitz's company, and I got my first job to be the president of production, but that ended in a 16-year discriminatory lawsuit. (laughs) Then I had an amazing thing happen, which is I, uh, then I won an Academy Award for Crash. Okay, yeah, there you go. That's pretty good. But I got sued the same day by the guy who had co-financed it. So I have to say, as I sit here today, that there have been amazing moments. But I think as we sit here today, there's so much more work to be done. Mm -hmm. And if I felt I had hit or crossed that glass ceiling, I would be so like happy, and we wouldn't have to talk about this today. But I, I gotta correct you. Yeah, you're a female producer who's produced a hundred movies. Let's hey, just, hey, no. yes. I've only produced yeah. three movies. Yeah, no, I've worked no, on. But, 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 uh, yeah. well, you, you, you fostered. Uh, you know, and that that's. So that's I feel good about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Let's feel good about that. I feel good. You feel good? Yes. <laughs> I'm now madly thinking, you know, I'll still staying on the high, but going on to New Year's first note, I think going on with barriers, uh, that it's slow and it was definitely, it's ultimately it's all internal. And I think growing up, 
as a young Asian Canadian girl in Canada, always feeling slightly apart, but really having that drive to be a part of it all. Mm. Um, it, it was a, a, a long road and it's been a long road. And what I want to bring it to is uh, the moment that um, I was offered um, Killing Eve. And I was uh, uh, in Brooklyn walking on the phone, talking to my agent on the phone, and I'm like, talking on the phone, flipping through the, the script. And, and I was flipping through the script going, Where's the doctor? Where's the reception? Where is? No, this is. It was a real learning lesson for me. So I'm like, where? So, so I'm sorry. So what, what, what part is that for? And uh, my agent said, Eve. Oh. And I realized, I mean, this far into the game, I still think I, I still was thinking that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like because. You get script after script. Yep. Um, as an actress of color, you—it's—it's it's years and years of compounding a belief system, right. right? And that you realize for for at one point someone's w waking you up and saying you don't need to be a part of that belief system anymore. It's like okay, <laughs> like thirty years have passed, <laughs> but I realized that it was my own, and then I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> What is this? And then I met the team behind it, and uh, continuing on with the, with the barrier, I felt like honestly the past six months of me shooting Killing Eve was, it's not one moment, it was the whole six months of really being able to be uh, so present and so involved creatively, and, and, and for me it was completely joyous. That was definitely like clear joy for like 70% of the entire day. It was that was definitely a, a barrier that was broken. Killing the old paradigm. No, it, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it really did, and I realized that it was me who was mm -hmm. still yeah. stuck in it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And now I have uh, can properly welcome yes. Reed to the panel. Hey. What was your first barrier? Um, my first barrier, I, I guess the first really big barrier was. There's a lot of barriers but yeah. to try to shoot a feature, um, to try to you know actually shoot a feature that was a genre that I wanted to be doing that I felt like was my what I wanted to be doing, which was the movie Frozen River, um, which I found on uh, Craigslist <laughs> that job, <laughs> and um, I think I was like a second choice or something, but in the end I got the job, and that's all that matters, you know. Um, but that helped, and then I think after that, I mean, there were a lot of little things. It's just many years of, of perseverance, but I think maybe when I got into the ASC, that was a pretty big deal. That was a really big deal, actually, to me, personally, because it's, there was only, at that time, I think uh, I was the 11th or the 12th person. I was going to ask woman. you about this, because cinematography is probably the most male-dominated profession yeah. in the industry. And I read somewhere that somebody said to you in the beginning, well, a woman can't pick up a heavy equipment, much less carry it on her shoulder all day long. Women are just not equipped to do this. Is that, is that a true story? Did you encounter this kind of difficulty? And not, not exactly in those words, but in some ways. And I think, um, you know, you just, you do, when you're, when it's your job, your body's conditioned to do that job, whether mm -hmm. it's an emotional or a mental thing or a physical thing, and I was conditioned to do it because I was carrying the camera all day anyway, and so when I was pregnant with both my kids, I was 
shooting film. So, you know, this is my second son. I was, you were carrying stuff when you were pregnant? I was like seven oh months God. pregnant and I shot, a, you know, on a 35 millimeter on a, a Panavision Platinum in Ooh. the desert on an Indian, Whoa. you know, film. <laughs> <laughs> That's a berry. Her kids are fine, by the way. <laughs> wow. They're fine, they're fine. Wow. wow. So I want to talk a little bit. We had the Women's March, another one all across the nation today. There's so much work to be done, and the statistics are quite abysmal in, a, in an industry that calls itself progressive. And last year, working on the top 100 films, 8% of the directors were female, which is, by the way, double from the year before. That's right. 10% um, are writers, and 2% are cinematographers. So the statistic blew my mind because I also looked up something else. And that was that in the silent era and the beginning of the talkies, film was dominated by female directors. Lois Weber did 135 films. Dorothy Arzner was the leading female director in the wow. 1920s. Wow. Ida Lupino became a director after her acting career and has more than 100 TV episodes and two films to her credit. There were over 300 women working behind the camera, doing documentaries, uh -huh. shorts, and features before Hollywood became a powerhouse industry. Why do you think this is? Mm. <laughs> well, I can start by saying that, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that we've been identifying, she was quoting some of Stacey Smith's um, Women in Film and Sundance uh, finance statistics from the Annenberg School. And having been deeply involved in all of that, um, what, one of the interesting things about this whole statistical report that's been going on for a number of years is that there has been one conclusion that's been consistent across all groups that we've um, interviewed and or measured. And that is that when the amount of money involved to create a piece of film or television increases, the, the involvement of women decreases. And what happened in the early ages, you know, in the early time, first of all, the biggest group of women was, were editors, and they were editors because they were people who, who be, people believed that they knew how to, they did, they knew how to sew. And, and so the, almost, that was in the 90th percentile back then. Wow. And it was because women um, who could sew became editors. But what started to happen is as it turned into a business, like you said, a commercial business, you know, women started to get pushed out because it was now not a hobby, it was a job, and women weren't supposed to have jobs. What we've seen in more contemporary years is that there is a perception that women can't manage money. And um, I call it a perception because we did do this huge statistical you know, test with over 90,000 data points and we looked at, we did 1,100 interviews of, of senior people in the business and what came out were sort of two top reasons why this happens, what you're talking about when it comes to money. And both of them to me are very mythological, which is why I'm calling them perceptions. But the top reason is that there's a, you know, cross-industry perception that women are emotional and emotional people can't manage money. That's a pretty bizarre perception because if men weren't emotional and could manage money, movies would all be good. <laughs> I got to sit up on that one. <laughs> Second one is women are so busy multitasking that they can't properly watch money because they could lose track of it while doing all the other important things they're doing which is kind of a backhanded compliment if you look at it. But you know, also, I also don't think it's true, frankly, that men can't multitask. I think that's a myth that has to do with 
a cultural allowance of letting men do less, but that's my own personal opinion. But, but um, you know, this idea that women couldn't manage money and everything else is also kind of strange because really historically women have always managed the money in, in households mm -hmm. and in, in most cultural centers, um, women have managed most, they manage a lot of the things, but they also manage the money. So, you know, part of what's going on and what you're talking about is that um, when you look at docu like film festival level, and you see that, you know, like this year I understand, and I'm quoting somebody, but 38% of the competition films are directed by women. And then you go all the way to what you said, which is studio films, which is at 8% or was last year. You know, it's because when you're, when the money's increasing and it's, it's intersecting with the business, the opportunity for women is decreasing simultaneously. It's, an, it's a direct inflection, actually. Uh -huh. So that's, that's sort of, that's one of the core reasons and, mm -hmm. you know, that this is happening the way, the way it is. We just have to fix, figure out how to fix it. Hmm. I also feel kind of that uh, women that actresses mm -hmm. have yeah. to become producers. Is yeah. that a Well, I have a story, and you guys are going to be the first to hear it. Um, <laughs> about 15 months ago, Jessica Jassain, uh, we're really good friends, and we had such a great time working on The Help. Uh, she wants to do comedies, and I want to break out of period pieces. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> They've been kind to me, but I kind of want to play someone who resembles me in some fashion. Um, and uh, so she contacted me and she said, I want us to do a comedy. And I'm like, yeah. And, uh, it, you know, she had an idea and um, she went off to work. I went off to work. Um, she called me maybe six months later, which would have been uh, like last March. And we were talking about pay equity and uh, with men and women. And she was like, it's time that women get paid the same as men. I'm like, yeah, Jessica, it's time. <laughs> and, you know, we were you, dropping F-bombs and, you know, getting it all out there. And then I said, but here's the thing. Women of color on that spectrum, we make far less than white women. So we're going to have that conversation about pay equity, we got to bring the women of color to the table. And I told her my story and we talked numbers and she was quiet and she had no idea that that's what it was like for women of color. And so she said, I'm probably going to cry. I don't know. These are happy tears. I love that woman because she's walking the walk and she's actually talking the talk. She said, Octavia, we're going to get you paid on this film. I said, I, I would love to do your film, but here's the thing. I'm going to have to get paid. And then she said, we're, of course, and you and I are going to be tied together. We're going to be favored nations, and we're going to make the same thing. And you're going to make that amount. And fast forward to last week, we're making five times what last week. Believes she she is walking the walk. That's great. And we want to. I mean, I, now I want to go to what the men are making. <laughs> I want to get there. Yeah. But right now, it feels really good just to be in that. Right. That's right. conversation. So I'm emotional because I haven't had a chance to process it. Yeah. Um, and it's real. Every woman in here, every man in here, everyone has value. And women do have to produce because she's producing this. She came up with a story. She uh, you know, went out with her production company. We went and uh, uh, pitched together. And we had a bidding war. And we're just sitting there sipping coffee. <laughs> like, oh my god. 
women are in demand leading films, <laughs> you know, because on paper they're already making money because they're going to produce it for less than what it costs to produce, you know, male vehicles. So right. let's start there, ladies. Mm-hmm. Let's start there. Yeah. One one of the things that I really want to highlight in your story is that you stood up and had a vulnerable and difficult conversation with your friend. If we don't talk about it, if we don't say this is and be vulnerable enough and transparent enough, you know, instead of, uh, you you know, pretending that we got it all together, Mm -hmm. honestly, addressing where you are and being willing to share that yeah. opened the door. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that it opened the door, but the thing is people say a lot of things and when it came down to it, she was right there and, and shoulder to shoulder as a producer, as an actress and I'm like it's changed my whole perspective on this matter. Now I'm, you know, I mean, I've always been an egalitarian. I I don't understand what the problem is. I mean, when you raise your daughters and your sons, do you tell your daughter, honey, I only want you to do three quarters worth of work because that's all they're going to pay you for. You know, you you don't raise girls like that. So it's, you know, I, this is important conversation to have. It's beautiful. I always had the feeling that as women, we haven't learned to hold the ladder for each other, the step ladder, mm-hmm. and that we're learning it very fast right now. Mm-hmm. And when I see Sandra coming in here and she's supported by all yeah. these women that are on her show, that work for, on her show, <laughs> produce, right, act, yeah. that's a pretty big statement. I also have to say that I went on the set of Queen Sugar, the very first TV series that only ever hired female directors. Mm-hmm. And I've been on many sets in the last 25 years. And at a certain point when you're long enough on a set, people forget that there's a journalist on the set. And you hear the yelling and the derogatory comments and the tense moments. And I spent the day on the set of Queen Sugar and I have never experienced an atmosphere like this. And I would like to ask you and you, if you feel like just by having more women on a set working, you educate the men to be more respectful. <laughs> I need to hear this. Well, you know, I think no matter what, it's how you, who, how you decide to be as a person and how you lead by example. If you're someone who decides to lead by example or tell people what to do and then are, be, are seen to be doing something else. Um, that is absolutely what I try to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I, I, I never go into a situation saying, I'm going to teach you <laughs> how to be respectful. Cause I don't think that that's, uh, I don't think that that's the way to necessarily lead. I'm not interested in being that way, but I just I, mean by being there, but, but yet I feel like being there. I, I feel like being there and being there, especially as a person of color, it's like, uh, the more you see us around, it's like, it's okay. It's like, it's like, it's really okay. I think basically just being present, being respectful and fair uh, will eventually ripple down because you were mentioning being on a set and how that, that would affect the men. I think, I think my presence actually affects the women more um, because uh, I, I feel a, a tremendous solidarity with them. You, you know what I mean? So we're all holding e- each other up. So that's the f- one that I can say that I, that I, I feel more immediate, immediately. 
if I... Yeah. Um, I actually think um, that in that Oprah Winfrey and Ava DuVernay are at the helm of Queen Sugar, I think that that level of power causes a level of respect, mm-hmm. right? And then both of those women are women who are very intentional. So they didn't just create Queen Sugar, they created Queen Sugar with a very clear idea of how they wanted mm-hmm. that show to not just look like on the screen, but how the experience would be for everybody who is part of the Queen Sugar crew family. I think starting with an intention is really important because when you, when you set the rules, when you set the bar, mm-hmm. And you're the boss, which is why we need more women and, and, and people of consciousness in those decision-making positions, then the people who have bad attitudes, they don't get to you know, um, spread their bad attitude around because it's outside of the yes. intention. It's outside of what is acceptable. Ava DuVernay will get rid of you if you are unkind. And that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. wonderful. You know, that's, that's a beautiful thing. I need thing. to come guest star on that show. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> I'm coming down. Yes. Yeah. I was just going to say, I would like to see I would like to see a film with Kathy producing, yeah. you starring, yeah, let's re-correcting it. it. You're shooting it. <laughs> <laughs> let's get it done, girls. Reed, Reed yeah. when you are a director and you're at the helm of a project, how do you influence the working atmosphere around you? Well, I mean, I just think we have the best job in the world. So if you come to set and you have a bad attitude or you're not in a good mood, to me, it's just like, what a waste, and just go home. Like, but I, so I don't even tolerate that. Like, to me, it's like, I've actually sent someone off of set and replaced them when they were kind of making snide comments. And so mm-hmm. it doesn't really happen. And I also kind of try to, where I can surround myself with my people, with my friends, you know? and like you're saying, lead by example, because I just like to have fun and joke around. And you know, even if you're doing something really dark and dramatic, you can't help but in between takes, everybody's like laughing and making jokes. It's just like, we really do have the best job. So we enjoy yourself, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, Kathy, Women in Film was founded in 1973. And it is uh, very common knowledge that a big change It takes at least a generation. Are we now, through everything that has happened in the last year, kind of now leaping forward? Is women in film, what is women in film doing to get this even further? So that we get to the 50% that we're aiming for. Mm. Mm. She just pointed out that women in film is (laughs) middle-aged. No ageism either. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like counting the numbers. Um, yeah, okay. Um, oh, that's a big question. I, I um, you know, it's interesting. There have been many waves of, you know, feminism, and I guess we could go really far back, or we could start kind of around Betty Friedan, you know, which is, I think, within the reality of our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
there's sort of been a phase of feminism that, that was kind of hers led through 20 years. And then I'd say that people who are now in their 50s and things was sort of the second phase of, of what's now being called neo-feminism, whatever exactly we mean by that. And now, you know, starting October 5th, we've had a new movement. Mm -hmm. And those are the newest ones, right? So, um, you know, it's been extraordinary. I mean, obviously, I call October 5th H-Day because that's when the Harvey Weinstein story dropped. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I've never seen so many people join the women's movement before so fast. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's been a big mobilization of actors who have used um, their voices and their celebrity to draw attention through uh, the public eye, which is one of the best things that can happen. And over the years has happened, but generally in like little pockets. Mm -hmm. And now it's, you know, thanks to all of, I know you and others who are in the, you know, this actor's circle, yet not yet formally named, I understand, you know, that, I'm <laughs> sorry, but I don't I think there's no yeah. formal name. Um, you know, that's been obviously a gigantic call to action and we've seen people leaning in faster than ever before, including, including, um, a better intersection from the standpoint of diversity than we've ever seen before, and even some men. Yeah. Um, which is one of the important things. This movement has a little bit of a tinge of being a little male-hating and a little bit like that. We have to be very careful of. Very careful. Because one of the things that the more historic feminists, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Yes, yeah. thank well, you yeah. over there. It's, oh, that's our male, male yeah. corner. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one of the main things from starting back at Betty Friedan and going through these years is that realizing the friends that men can be and utilizing um, them to help women come up where they have the ability to do that is as important as the voice of, say, an actor who can scream and ch a, a man in a company can scream and yell too and say, we got to make a change. And so that gives me a little bit of caution, and I don't like to see witch hunts either. Um, that makes me really stressed out, um, but, and many people. But what I do think is really important now is that we, there's been this gigantic outcry, and the real question now is how do we convert to actual action, mm -hmm. to doing? Because talking is one thing and doing is another Absolutely. thing. So for an organization, I guess, like Women in Film, the middle-aged organization, no. Uh, for, for, for Women in Film, you know, we've been hard at work for a number of years on systemic change. Um, we approach what we do uh, through the social sciences. And in essentially, for any of you that aren't that familiar with systemic thinking, it has to do with the fact that in any given macrocosm or group working on the same thing, you have to find common space. The first successful, um, one of the first successful systemic change projects that was done, believe it or not, was in the fish industry. And all the people that affect fish, from those of us who eat it to those of us who um, catch them to those of us who put things in the water to try to make drugs work, to every other thing that we do, there was one commonality and that was we all need more fish and killing them and having them go extinct isn't gonna solve the problem. Mm -hmm. So similarly, um, I think so much of what this has to do and I think what Women in Film is trying to do in a leadership position is to remember what are our core values here? We have a problem that starts at the top and, and pushes down, it's a cultural problem. Harassment, which has been sort of the cause that's caused all of this, is a symptom. 
that happens when you get a very male system that continues to make male choices, hire males, males making decisions about content, and then there's a harboring of uh, behavior that can turn harassing. Do I think that as we sit here in our industry that we have male rapists all, all over the place? I sure don't. Other people on the panel may. I, I don't. Um, and I think that's gotten blown out of proportion. So what we're doing is we're, we're continuing on our mission at Women in Film, and in, in, in most cases in partnership through Reframe uh, with the Sundance Institute and Carrie, who was just here but couldn't stay to talk about this. Um, we, are, we have taken all the research done over the last 10 years, and what we've been able to identify is that the problems exist in three categories, and there are so many problems I could write, we could all write 35 books about it, but essentially we've got a pipeline problem on the left side of a triangle, which is where are these women, where are the diverse people? And if they're here, why don't we know they're here, and if they're not here, what are we doing to get them here? And everything, everything about that. On the second side, I'm using a triangle, which is very typical in culture change projects. On the second side of the triangle, what we've got is a whole cultural issue. What's happening in the companies, what's happening everywhere where a decision to finance content exists? And, and why are we breaking down there? What is going on with what we've all become more accustomed to, this unconscious bias? We're kind of moving beyond unconscious bias into conscious inclusion. One of the things we've realized in the movement is it's hard to train yourself against unconscious bias. We're grow we grow a certain way and we think a certain way. What we can do is consci consciously be inclusive. On the baseline, and most importantly, I think for our industry, is, is the marketplace realities. You know, we are an industry that needs to survive, needs to continue to make money. And so there's been a disconnect about the power of the diverse marketplace. The fact is that in the last year, the amount of women buying collectively um, uh, uh, tickets, uh, theatrical tickets, um, and choosing television and choosing streaming is over 68% of the full American marketplace. So we don't just have an opportunity, we have a marketplace majority that is female facing. And diversity, you know, intersectional. And I don't have as good numbers, I wish I did, but we're working on those now to understand that. So the real question becomes, how do we embrace and understand our marketplace, learn how to speak to our marketplace, learn how, and then in order to do that, um, nourish the pipeline and change the cultural problems? for the better. And I think it's really that focus that, that Women in Film as an organization and other, you know, we have 40 other alliance organizations working with us. And I think once we do that, it'll be really helpful. I see studio heads sitting out here. And um, that's really kind of the thing. So what we've been doing, and I'll stop here, is we've been going from company to company, studio to studio, network to network, and asking them to sign on to something called the Reframe program, where they'll try a number of the programs that have been developed to address the three sides of the triangle. And I wish today I could announce, but I can't yet, but we do have our first handful of major motion picture studios in Netflix. And, and um, <laughs> networks. 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 Wow. Just middle age. That was the power of the it was middle age. It was a middle age thing. <laughs> and soon we'll be able to announce all that. And, and that's a good thing because step by step, the other thing is like we have to do these things with some collectivization programmatically. It is really hard to do 100,000 different things all at the same time. Um, and especially when we all have day jobs, right? Right. <laughs> and um, so I think 
a lot of this work is volunteer work and a lot of this work is out of our hearts. And the more that we can unify around good, good ideas that make sense, have been properly researched, can be achieved, and all work together as a community, you know, we're peers. The same people who want change. What you're looking here at women, at diverse women, what, we, what this means is we are your partners. We're making your movies. We're making your shows. We're starring. We're producing. We're acting. We're shooting. We're doing this thing. There's no us against the system. We are the system. So we have to work together. To, to and that's what I wanted to ask uh, the other four. Um, do you have a feeling or is there a danger that we're going overboard, that we are, in fact, alienating men that then, you know, feel like they are being pushed out of something when, in truth, we just want equality and get rid of the predators and the bullies? I, I think, honestly, this has been, it's an uncomfortable time. And it's uncomfortable, um, but it's something that we have to allow this process to happen. Um, I, I, I just think that anyone who is misreading the tea leaves, it, tea leaves, if you think that this is a female versus male movement, it's not. Mm -hmm. Empowered women aren't anti-male. Right. We're just empowered. Mm -hmm. And we, we can help you better. Mm -hmm. we, we can help ourselves. You know, we're happier. Well we sleep. <laughs> you know, our kids are fine. <laughs> Listen to me, I'm not even a mom. When are we going to get sleep? When are we going to get sleep? Well, when high altitudes, high altitudes, okay. sleep in high altitudes. <laughs> I'm learning that. Um, but, but all joking aside, I, I do understand because I, I've talked to a few men, and they really don't know what to do in this moment. And it's like, what do we do? Do we say something? Do and I say, honey, you know what? Just be quiet for now. <laughs> you know, you just nod in approval. Let us have this time. Allow all of these voices to be heard, and then we can start having those conversations that we need to have. But I think it's going to feel, you know, adversarial, and it and it shouldn't, because that's not what this is about. With regard to the Me Too movement that's happening, that's about, you know, people facing down their abusers uh -huh. in the workplace. And, you know, human resource departments were there to protect the workers, but we find out, because of Harvey Weinstein and such, um, that they've actually been protecting the companies. So that has to change. And so, you know, you got a lot of angry people, a lot of people who've been hurt, but it's not men versus women, I know in my that, mind. I know that Reed has to rush off, so if you would like to add something to this, please. Um, I mean, I agree. I agree with what you're saying. I think that's the thing people have to realize. It isn't male versus female, and it is just about having more diversity in out in the workplace and the storytelling, more point of views. Right. You know. Also, it's like the variety is the, the spice of life. To, yes. You know, and it's why wouldn't we want to see? The point of view, you know, everybody's perspective and, and everybody's stories, and and I think there's just a whole new world of opportunity and um, storytelling, and you know, just things we haven't seen yet. Mm -hmm. If we would let these women have their voice and express themselves and be, you know, in front of the camera and and not be afraid of that. Right. So anyway, I'm sorry to run and leave. This is really, really amazing listening to you guys. <laughs> Thank you. It was amazing having you. Thank you Thanks, for guys. making room for us. I don't think that we can underestimate 
and underemphasize the importance of conversation. Yeah. Because human beings tend to be afraid yeah. of change, period. Yeah. You know, any kind of change. And so when we're talking about these kind of, I mean, huge cultural uh, relationship changes, it's going to make everyone afraid. And the more we can frame that conversation so that people can hear where we're coming from, so that we can listen to where men are and what their fears are, create a space where everyone is able to talk about what they're feeling and get the misconceptions and misperceptions sort of cleared up, mm -hmm. then we can really actually move towards some sort of cooperation. Yeah. But without conversation, we do. You know, I think that there, I think we're all sharing a North Star that we sometimes forget in the midst of all this. The North Star of all this really is that expanding stories changes the world. And not to sound grandiose, but in the end of the day, the more that we understand each other and more stories about each other, the better chance with comprehension of each other we have of making better decisions Absolutely. about how we fight our wars and, and elect our leaders and run our schools and run our homes. And this is really, you know, at core that, that we are the storytellers, you know, and that it's hard to know about people if you can't hear them speak. Mm. I would like to open it up to questions from the audience now, and I would really like to encourage the men in the audience to <laughs> We love you. We want to give you yeah, a voice. Yeah, I give her a meal. So there's one. There's one. <laughs> Please. I'm a male ally, so I commend everything that's happening, and it's about damn time. But I want to ask you, because it's such a male hierarchy that exists in the industry, that when women do break the barrier and go through, there's a lot of, when I say nepotism, I don't necessarily be family, men hire their friends and so on and so forth. How accessible is that for women to, when they get into position of power, to finally, as Octavia said, when people fight for you, that is it incumbent upon women once they do reach that level to say, I'm bringing along my sisters with me? You know, is there gonna be a backlash in that? Do you have to worry and foresee the future? These are the discussions we're gonna have to worry about. I, here's what I think. I think we we have to talk about you know male versus female right now because this is where we are right now. I I also believe that at some point we just have to drop the pronouns and pick the people that are telling exciting stories and pick the people who fit the job and fit you know just there's a place for everyone at the table and I think that. It's just so murky, and it, everybody is just, you know, nervous and, uh, I don't know. I'm sleep-deprived, people. I'm sleep-deprived. <laughs> you we're going to get to sleep soon. We, I, I think we will get to sleep. <laughs> I think we all need sleep. But I, I, I do, I, I feel like this wonderful moment that's happening right now, it is making us confront a lot of cultural issues. There's a big paradigm shift. And like you said, changes, it's, it's frightening. Um, but... You know, I think we just have to take the baby steps that we're taking um, and, and you know, one foot in front of the other and we'll get there. But it's, it's not going to be easy, as you can see. Um, it's not going to be easy, but we'll get there. I'm Anyone really else? Oh, 
Is it going? Right Hi, I'm Ginger Stickle, and I run the Greenwich International Film Festival, which is all female-founded and run. And all of you are incredible role models to us. And I'd love to know who are your role models? Who has inspired you to push harder and, and reach for more and achieve the level of success that you have? Family, my friends, my family. And uh, I, I mean, if you'd asked me that like 10 years ago, I would have started naming a bunch of you know, people that I didn't know who were famous for whatever reason. Uh, but at this age, uh, I, I'm more inclined to say the people that made the sacrifices for me to be here. So um, look to home first, honey. You won't be disappointed if you look to home first. I think that's right. I look for my daughter. I, look, I don't look before, I kind of look for like the future. Mm -hmm. You know, like what next? What, her, what about her? You know, next generation. Yeah. yeah you know, um, I believe that each one of us has a voice inside. There's a yearning, there's a nudging, there's something that compels us. And when we answer that, when we align ourselves with that, we are better positioned to do what we can do because there's a reason that we feel the way we feel. And I think that, that learning to honor that is the first thing. Uh, there have been many times that I thought, you know, that person uh, was, you know, this wonderful human being or whatever. And then you get to know them and you know that they don't necessarily walk their talk. So to have a really strong, uh, base, mm -hmm. whether it's someone in the industry who you can admire or whether it's someone at home, making sure that you have a place, a community where you get fed so that you can get back up because there is no linear line to success in this business. And getting up and getting disappointed and having to get back up again and again and again is part of the DNA of this journey. Yeah. So you gotta make sure that your why is big and it's compelling and it's bigger than you. I mean, changing the world or bringing someone's story to light that you know would not see themselves without you, mm. that's a reason to fight. Mm -hmm. Sandra? Mm -hmm. That was so well said. I know. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't have to follow that. <laughs> Tough act to follow, I know. <laughs> I just feel like you've actually kind of articulated some of the really basic, basic fundamental intentions of what I do, what I do. To your question of like who your role models are, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is the creator of Killing Eve, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I think she's a part of a great new generation um, of of women who who somehow have, in my interpretation, have less kind of heaviness on them. You know what I mean? And yes. her uh, uh, ability, and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of women like her in this room who have a clear creative vision and who are practicing it and getting a voice and putting it out there. And I see that and it inspires me tremendously. It's not necessarily someone who is older than you or who has, is more seasoned in, 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 you know, in the, that way. I, I, I see it in, in, in uh, it's almost like a, a freedom that I, I kind of think that the younger generation have of just 
well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say this. I'm gonna say this. And I really think that, I kind of did it a little bit like you two, a little bit like you two. Um, and I think that's really, has been inspiring to me. And I also have like teachers. Yeah. I think in I mean, some ways, I think, teachers, I think yeah. that that's been one of, maybe one of the benefits of the internet. Like what young people are able to do is create a, their own culture and sort of self-brand and like be themselves mm -hmm. and work on their voice. And they tend to work a lot in the art space without mm -hmm. even knowing their artists, like just by talking in pictures and posting mm -hmm. and this and that. I usually limitation is less. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Because of just where we are. It's yeah. like, it's not just you sit here, you write a script, you do this. I mean, there's a, a bunch of different ways of just right. continuing your career. Of, uh, That's right. Voice. You don't have to just get hired in one job. No, one exactly. Job. Yeah. You know, like you can use all these tools that are kind of available. But I would also add, this is not a solitary journey, honey. It, no. You need no, yeah, to try. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. and like she said, you have to find your support group because yeah. it, it's village. You're gonna yeah. have. You know, I borrowed the same $500 from my friends and uh, when we were coming up in the industry, and I don't know who I owe, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure we, you know, paid it back in, 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 you know, different ways. But you know, you you definitely have to have your find your tribe. Yeah. Well, we're running out of time, unfortunately. I want to thank my well, there's a wonderful guy behind one, one more, yes. one more. There's a man. Guy. <laughs> We've got two guys we want two to speak. Guys. We got to do it. Okay. <laughs> we got to do it. They're in here. Yeah. Right. Um, my name is Michael. I'm an unknown comedian actor. And just to help the cause, I would like to offer to work with any of these fine people on stage and be paid way less. And be paid less. I'll even work for free. I'll go for free. No, but... um. I really loved what you guys said there and um, so many rich things there. Um, I noticed that things kind of trends repeat itself over time and we're in kind of stories 20 years ago tend to emerge to mirror the presence of what's happening currently. What kind of stories do you all think um, kind of mimic what's happening now maybe 20 years ago that would shine a mirror to this situation? Ooh. To shine a mirror to, wh to what's, what's happening now. Our, our current state. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know if I was going to take that one. It's a really easy I'm question. Well, it's, yeah. it's yeah. difficult because don't it's say that, age me. Don't say that men are not challenging, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Uh, yeah. Um, you mean which actual pieces of content kind of thing? Could be content, yeah. You know, I'll, 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 I'm going to take a stab at that. Good thing, because we were kind of uh, yeah, was, drowning. Uh, you know, the, the reason why I said I've always just been so fascinated by the mo American movies of the 70s. Uh, because, and like, I feel like Jack Nicholson, um, he played like the psyche of like the uh, American male and uh, a breaking out of a certain era. And, and I've always been searching for like, why can't women have existential crises? Why are we always in a position of either some sort of relationship or whatever? And, um, and I really feel like our show, I'm, sorry, I'm so into uh, Killing Eve right now, our show is examining that because we're actually really dealing with the female psyche. And I feel like my character is going through existential crisis all the time. That doesn't necessarily have to do with her husband, has to do with her own uh, examination and search for herself. Yeah. And so if that's the thing, it's like the, the storytelling that was happening at 30, 40 years ago, which is about what is, where are, where's the American male psyche, I do feel like I'm actively participating in where is
is the female psyche now? Where is her, where does she want to be? Who does she want to be? Not in relationship to any of the classical roles, but who she is with herself and her God. Yes. And so I do think that some of the, uh, I know television <laughs> making that I'm so proud to be a, a part of, and I think is going on, is starting to examine that specifically from a female point of view. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I think on that note, I guess we could go on forever, please. He's the last one. So this is like the best panel discussion I've ever had. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. And I'm proud to be a part of a female Thank you. Um, and so the question that I wanted to ask as a youth of color, right, um, I'm a freshman in college, um, is sort of thinking about um, how, like, I just want to ask you all to do, I always ask my friends, I always ask my students, like, to freedom dream, right? So typically in these really heated moments, we get so caught up in, like, the frustration and the, and the anger of what's going on. And usually we don't create sort of spaces and jurisdictions for what does justice look like here? Mm -mm. What does freedom look like? What is a world? And so we don't recreate, right? We have this tendency when we get into these really mad moments, mm. right, when it comes to Black Lives Matter, when it comes mm. to settler colonialism in our country, right? How can we look at what's going on right now and say, well, in 10 years, we want this to look like that. Or in mm. 20 years, we want this to help folks like me, right, and youth of color and, and indigenous folks and women of color in these spaces, right? How can we sort of, what is a film uh, system that just doesn't recreate what we've already been a part of? Like, can you freedom dream? Well, you're, you, well, are you asking us? Or, yeah. well, oh, I'm like, oh, I'm just you know, doing what With saying. that, I, if I could just take that. I would encourage uh, people who um, are in positions of power and who, potentially who are men or who are men and who are white to actually initiate those conversations with young people like that to say, hey, what's your name? Isaiah. Isaiah, you tell me what your freedom dream is. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, we're all well into it. We're practicing it. But it's actually, what do you want? As in, what do you want? And I do encourage that. Because it should be coming from, <laughs> not me. I mean, it is. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, like, it's like, it should be coming from the, the, the hierarchy of power who has been in the position of power for a long time to extend a curious hand, to extend an open hand, to create, to be the person who initiates, decide to initiate that open space. But the one thing that you said that impressed me, which will influence everyone, because you know the way, like she said, there's no road map to success and success and in, in justice, success and all that laundry list of things that you just said. Create your own content because there's so many ways to disseminate it to the masses and we are influenced by your work just as you are influenced by ours. Okay, and on that note, thank you all for coming. Thank you, my wonderful panelists. I also have to thank our partners, the Sundance Institute, our gracious hosts, the Sundance TV channel, our PR firm, Sunshine Sex, and our own HFPA team. First and foremost, President Meher Datna, Luca Celara, Lorenzo Soria, and everyone who lent a helping hand. Have a great evening. Subscribe for more panels from the Sundance TV headquarters at the 2018 Sundance Film Festival.